Hey there, a big thank you to the band, and you can grab yourself a seat, um, get yourself nice and comfortable. Hey, my name is Lockie, and uh, as Chris said, and I usually hang out in the PM environment, but I also usually don't play in the, uh, in the band. I don't usually play music. Um, and in case you're wondering what that kind of like Justin Bieber looking like, you know, One Direction kind of guy with the mic, you know, this is why I'm not like there thinking it's my solo show, so don't worry. Um, but hey, as Chris said again, this morning we're wrapping up with part three of a series we have called The Other Side of Me. And so far in this series, the focus has really been on you. We've aimed to help you have better relationships by taking a closer look at yourself uh, and kind of how you interact with those around you. And this was based on the premise we started in part one, um, that self-awareness, so around the idea of self-awareness, how we can look in the mirror to see ourselves, uh, we can see those blind spots. And last week, Chris gave us part two and provided for us some really tangible action that we could apply in the relationships that we have around us. All right, so there's some great content and application of those messages, so if you miss them, you can check it out in part one and part two via iTunes and SoundCloud. I really recommend that. Um, but today, we're not really going to be spending too much time looking at ourselves, um, but rather we're going to be looking at what it looks like to have relationships in a world that seems to be broken, divided, and constantly fighting itself. So to do that, I would love to share about an experience in my life from around a year ago. And 12 months ago, I was living in a town called Albury-Wodonga, which is on the border of New South Wales and Victoria. And unfortunately, I was on the New South Wales side, so around state of origin time, uh, I didn't really enjoy being there. But apart from the trauma of those kind of, you know, those kind of days, I actually had a really brilliant time. The sporting culture there was phenomenal. I made some lifelong friends. And best of all, the weather was perfect. It was the first time in my life that I got to experience a real winter and I learned that Queenslanders can get a bit wussy when it comes to the cold. And the first time I realized it was super cold is I walked outside to go into my car to get to work and my car was just covered in a layer of ice. Uh, in the middle of my freak out, I looked up the road and there was an old lady just watering her car with a watering can. Uh, and I, I, uh, you know, that kind of gives give me a bit of ease from my panic as I realized it was just a day-to-day -day occurrence of living in the area. So there was a fair bit of adjusting that I had to do uh, when I lived in the area, but the best thing about it was uh, I got to have a proper Christmas in July. And as I realized we could have this kind of celebration, I, I pitched the idea to my housemates. We got super invested in this idea. And uh, somewhere along the way, I managed to source a 3.2 meter tall Christmas tree to put in my living room, uh, which feels super big when it's actually taller than your roof. Um, and then my, my housemate, he, was, he also got carried away. He just got his tax return. He went out and spent $400 on Christmas presents just to have something under the tree. It was really great. And lastly, the quality of food and drink certainly matched the decorations and the presents as everyone pitched in to create an incredible spread of food that we could enjoy for our Christmas celebration. I reckon the preparation was probably half the fun, but the night ended up being seriously awesome. We had such a great time as we opened the presents and we played with them like we were little kids again. Right, we shared memories over dinner and we, made some, uh, we had some great laughs as we participated in all the Christmas classics. And as the night was wrapping up, one of my mates, he came to me and he said, you know what, that was better than my actual Christmas. He said, the night had everything. There was food, decorations, presents. He even went on to say, it was everything that Christmas was meant to be. It was just without the family drama. And in that moment, we laughed off the comment and didn't think too much about it. 
And I was actually pretty chuffed that I'd managed to create an experience that was better than Christmas. But as I consider that comment now, it's not as sweet as it was uh, when I heard it in July. See, Christmas is meant to be one of those times when we get together and we get along and have a great time. We should be able to gather as family and as friends and not have the experience tainted by any sort of drama and arguments. And when we have an experience that is negative and tainted by this conflict of any nature, we find ourselves asking a question. Why can't we all just get along? And when we ask this question, it's not a joyful debrief question that we get to uh, ask to ensure that the next one is better. See, when we ask this question, it's emotionally charged. It's full of frustration, it's depressing, there's anger, it's disappointing all at the same time. Because after what was meant to be a nice Christmas celebration, a nice family holiday, or just a get-together, we ask in desperation, why can't we just all get along? And at this point again, it's less of a question, more of a desperate cry for help. We don't ask it with a view of reconciliation in mind. We don't ask this question, we don't see both sides of the conflict. But we know that in the conflict, one side was right and the other was wrong. And so without intentionally doing anything, we create an us-versus-them mentality. And as we think like this, a resolution to the conflict is far from the goal. We get defensive towards our side of the argument, and we put walls up between us and the people on the other side of us. I'm guessing there's been a time in your life when you've looked around and noticed that we don't all get along. You may experience this in your family life. You so desperately wish there was no conflict in your marriage and it's not your partner versus yourself, but rather you and your partner working together for a common goal for the be- to see the best in each other. Right? You may find yourself tired of giving and receiving passive aggression at your workplace, even though that hour-long meeting could have been an email. Right? You just can't wait to see a day where your work life is full of peace. And as you look broader, as you step out, you look broader in life, you're confronted with groups of people who just cannot seem to uh, to get along. It's really refreshing not to be bombarded with the kind of political ads at the moment, where for a period of time it was just side uh, side and side against each other, putting each other down just to try and win your vote, to try and win their seat. Further than that, it seems that the church community at whole is at war with the LGBTI community that there's just a lack of understanding. We can't seem to get on. And if we go right back, we can't even switch on the news without seeing conflict. There's nations that are at war with each other to somehow fight for peace. And it can often feel hopeless as we look around and we see the distance between different people. And you and I also sit somewhere in the mix of that. And at the end of the day, there's this deep-seated desire for us to get along. And even if you're not the lovey-dovey type who just wants to see love and world peace, right, you may want everyone to get on just so that you can have your family together, just so that you can have meaningful connection in your life. And a lot of this comes down to how we view individuals and groups of individuals who are on the other side of us. And as we, part, as we, start, as we start to unpack what is on the other side of us, uh, sorry, until we start to unpack what's on the other side of us, we cannot create a world where we can cultivate the relationships that we desire to have. And it leaves us with a question. How do we respond when we don't get along? And how can we move past the us 
versus them mentality. Now, I want to take you to a time of around 2,000 years ago. And you may not believe it, but the same tension still exists in that day. There was a disconnection between the relationships that they desired to have and what they were experiencing. There was a particular issue that was present as there was a real clear division and plenty of animosity between groups in society. And at these times, the groups were divided by people um, you know, through different races, religions, genders, and level of class and wealth. The different groups of people had been cre- uh, the different groups that had been created did not associate with each other, and uh, further than that, they had major conflicts with each other. And during this time period, God stepped into history, and he became human as a person of Jesus. And uh, as Jesus became a part of the world around him, he really noticed firsthand just how much division existed between the people and the groups. And today we're going to be looking at a particular interaction that Jesus had with one of these groups, and that was the group of Jewish leaders. These men were part of an elite religious group that were on a mission to uphold their strict Jewish religion. The group consisted of moral leaders who took their roles extremely seriously. And this interaction is recorded by a guy named Luke in his account of the life of Jesus. And Luke starts recording this interaction as one of the Jewish leaders, he stood up and he confidently asked Jesus, what can I do to make sure I get into heaven? Right, before we get too deep into the story, uh, it's important to actually for us to see the other side of this question and look at the, uh, look at the question from the Jews' perspective. Right? And the Jewish people at the time, they held this really fundamental belief that if I do the right thing, I can get myself a spot in heaven. So this quest to constantly do the right thing became an obsession for many of them. And so they would resort to sitting down in groups and debating exactly what the right thing was. Now, if you're the kind of person that whips the rule book out anytime someone does you know, an interesting move in Monopoly or Uno, this crowd was for you. Because these guys love debating the rules. But the leaders, what they had done is they had created an us-versus-them mentality, even within their own religion, where they were seeing themselves as the judge of right and wrong. And their task was especially difficult because they had, three, uh, sorry, had 613 ways in which they were required to strictly follow. And so the lads that formed this elite group were ones that had dedication to each and every one of those 613 rules. These rules ensured that they loved God and that they prayed every day. Some pretty standard stuff. Uh, the rules go really far and they stopped the Jews from cooking meat and milk together and they also prohibited them from eating fresh grapes and leftovers. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have survived in that time because I think about 80% of the food I eat is leftover. Thanks, Mum. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, but by following these rules, right, these guys created a sense of insurance for their lives, making sure that they would get to heaven with no worries at all. So as this Jewish leader stood and asked Jesus, what can I do to make sure I get into heaven? I can imagine he was quite confident in himself. He knew he was hitting all uh, 613 rules. But rather than stroking their egos and giving the answer they were looking for, Jesus responds with a question. He says, well, what do you think? What do the rules say? And how do you read it? The man answered straight away, 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus straight away agrees. This is the textbook answer. And he says, you know what? Awesome. Go and do that. If you love God and you love your neighbor, you know what? That's it. You will live forever. You'll get that spot in heaven. But the way that Jesus responded held such an authority that it actually offended some of the people in the group. So one guy, he pipes up. And he said, Jesus, Jesus, hold up. I'm just going to clarify. Who is my neighbor? In other words, he's just confirming that his neighbor was all the blokes sitting beside him. You know, the ones that shared the same belief, the ones that spoke the same language and had the same color of skin. He was just confirming with Jesus that the ones who were raised under similar circumstances were brought up with the same strict religion and probably had the same haircuts were the one he was referring to as his neighbors. And again, instead of giving a direct answer, Jesus sits on it for a couple seconds. He pulls them in nice and close. And he says, fellas, let me tell you a story. He starts by sharing that there was a Jewish man on his regular commute between towns. But one day on his journey, he was attacked by a gang. And they left him half dead after they beat him, stole everything he had. And they stripped him of his clothes. They left him there to die. This man was alone, naked, bleeding and weeping as he hung on to the little life that he had left. But fortunately for the man, there was someone else passing through the area. In fact, a priest, someone with religious authority and great moral standing, was soon to approach the wounded man. And as he came over the hill, he sees the man naked, lying. It's a brutal sight. But he does the old, get your phone out and pretend like he didn't see. And he walks on by. You know the one when you're walking through North Lake Shopping Center on a Saturday morning in your active wear, and you see that person you don't want to see. You just put your head down and keep on walking. That's exactly what the priest did. And five minutes later, though, a temple assistant, again, another great guy, is on the same journey as the priest. He sees the same naked, bleeding, and weeping man, and he too walks to the other side of the road. He ignores him. Instead of sprinting over, assessing the situation, calling the ambulance or whatever they had back then, and, and helping the wounded man, he, sits, he's, he walks away as if it's none of his business. But five minutes later, another man walks past, and he moves to immediate action. He runs over, tends to his wounds, and he provides the care that he immediately needs. But not only did he give him that care, he put the man on his own donkey and he rushed him into town where he took him to somewhere uh, where they would give him a bed and look after him. He then gave the staff there enough money for either like two months, two months worth of care. Right, and he went one step further and he said, look after this man. And if the bill is higher than what I've paid you already, just let me know. And I'll come back in and I'll pay. I'll pay more. See, what I haven't mentioned yet is that this good guy came from a completely different group of people called the Samaritans. And the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. They saw each other as wrong. And from either side, they held a really strong us versus them mentality. Yet in the moment of absolute need for the wounded Jew's life, the Samaritans stepped in and saved the man. I'm going to press pause on the story and ask a question for you to ponder. The question is this. 
Who do you see as yourself in this story? And as I ask the question, you're probably seeing there's three options in front of you. You're either one, the priest. The one to flatly ignore what happened, the beaten man. You know, that's the kind of person who sees the issues around him, uh, but doesn't respond because maybe it's a bit too hard or inconvenient. Right? You could be the temple assistant. You could be the other one that walks by and has pretty similar excuses to the first guy. Or you could see yourself as the Samaritan, the one who stops and helps even though it crosses all sorts of boundaries. As you're trying to narrow down which one you really think you are, you probably realize that you have somewhere float in between the three. Right? You're, you're thinking of examples in your life where, yeah, I did walk past or yeah, I helped. But today, I want to suggest that there is a fourth option that comes from this story. See, the person I think most of us relate to in this story is the one who was beaten. The one who's laying down on the side of the road, naked, bleeding, and weeping. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this part not makes sense, may not make sense, and that's okay. We'll kind of address that later. But for those in the room that follow Jesus, you'll know that you are only here because of a love that was extended to you, similar to the one of the Samaritan. Before we even try to categorize ourselves as either the bystander or the helper, we first have to realize that we were once broken, beaten, and battered before we, were encountered, before we encountered Jesus. And in our encounter with Jesus, he came to us, he picked us up, he tended to our wounds, all despite our faults and our failings or where we came from. And again, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and, and maybe you're not lying down on the side of the road half dead, but hey, maybe you don't feel fully alive. You might not be bleeding, but you sure have wounds that need healing. Right? Maybe you haven't been robbed, but maybe you also haven't felt the love of Jesus through the people who are on the other side of you. And I know this is a long-winded way to respond to a simple question of, who is my neighbor? But Jesus wraps up this story with a simple instruction to go and do the same. And through the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus simply reinvents the way we are to love our neighbors. He's giving us the opportunity to bridge the gap between you and whoever is on the other side of you. Jesus is showing us that on the other side of us, regardless of age, gender, skin color, religion, political belief, or sexual orientation, is someone who bears the image of God. And at the end of the day, we are the ones who magnify our differences, and we create that us versus them mindset for us to be trapped into. However, when we remove this, we can begin to see that we're all created in the same image, the image of God. And as we take this into our lives, we begin to truly know that those who don't see eye to eye with us are also made in the image of God. As we strip down the barriers we've created, we see that the groups we don't agree with are just a collection of individuals of people who we don't see eye to eye with. Sorry, who are created in the image of God. And as we take the stance of the Samaritan, we see that everyone, even those who come from a different culture or a background, are created in the image of God. And I totally understand that uh, it can be really hard. You know, there's people that can be really hard to be on the other side of. 
and that loving everyone perfectly is an impossible task. But through the example of the Samaritan, Jesus extends us an invitation and gives us a way which we can begin to love those who are on the other side of us. And beyond, we then extend that invitation um, that Jesus gives us in the form of an application for you to apply in your coming week. Because we believe that receiving information without applying an application is a wasted opportunity, so we provide a four Monday this week. And the first part of our four Monday this week is to simply open your eyes. Jesus so clearly gives us an example of what blind people look like. They're the ones who walk past and they ignore what's going on right around them, even if it's a screaming man on the side of the road. What Jesus is telling us is that the first step in creating a relationship with those who are on the other side of us is to open our eyes. When we open our eyes, we can see that every person is made in the image of God and therefore deserving of our love. The next part of the application is the result of the overflow, in case you're wondering. It may be a bit ambiguous, right? But we aren't called to just look. We're called to treat every single person we interact with as if they're created in the image of God. And this week, it may be in the form of helping someone who truly needs it. But maybe it's just choosing not to judge someone. But as we open our eyes, I hope you'll be surprised by the amount of opportunities that you truly have to love your neighbors around you. And as we grow to understand that Jesus dying on the cross for us was his way of caring for us when we were broken, battered, and beaten, how could we ever pass up the opportunity to extend that love to someone who needs it and hasn't yet received it? And on the other side of me today is someone who bears the image of God. And I'm not just saying that in the hope that one of you today here at Beyond are made in that image. I say it in the confidence knowing that you were created in God's image. And I believe that we're here to share that image with the world. And as we step into God's image ourselves, we reject a lie that we will never get on. As we reflect that image into the world, we remove any us-versus-them mentality which we've created and held on to. As we adopt the pose of the Good Samaritan, we see that everyone bears the image of God. And just to finish, we don't love our neighbor because it's a nice thing to do and because Jesus said it to a group of guys 2,000 years ago. We do it because it's been done for you and you've been saved. Before we have communion, I'd love to just wrap up in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you first extended to us the care that we needed. Lord, we pray for the courage and confidence to step out this week, to open our eyes and to see the people and the situation in our lives um, that are needing your love. Lord, we pray that as we extend that love into the world that you give us all the power and all the confidence that we need to do so. We thank you that you give us the example of the Good Samaritan, um, someone who steps across all sorts of boundaries to help those in need. And Lord, I pray that we can do the same this week. Amen.